Excited to announce that payment providers can now benefit from GoCardless's fast and secure bank payment solutions with our new product, GoCardless Embed. Wrapped up into one simple API, GoCardless Embed allows access to one-off and recurring bank payments in multiple countries around the world. GoCardless has been offering best-in-class bank payment solutions for over a decade, and we can't wait to help payment service providers broaden the number of customers they support and the markets they serve. So, if you're interested in exploring more about GoCardless Embed, get in touch to hear more about the value we can offer. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at Fintech Futures, and for this episode, we're joined by Ben Morfitt, Director of Product Management at GoCardless. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Great. It's great to have you here. So, I mean, just to get started, would you like to quickly let us know a bit more about yourself then and what you're up to at GoCardless at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So, as you mentioned, I'm Ben. I am a product director at GoCardless. I've actually been there for just over six years. It's, it's flown by quite quickly as I've worked on a range of our different products and features. But most recently, I am working on our Embed product, which we launched earlier in the year. This is a product to allow other payment providers, other PSPs, to get access to the bank payments that we offer really easily just through a sort of a, a single API. Excellent, excellent. Sounds good. On the show this week, I mean, you've just touched on it there. We're going to be taking a look at the rise in bank payments. So that's payments made from one bank account directly to another. I mean, how new technologies have helped boost the popularity of bank payments among businesses and consumers, as well as how embedded finance has enabled payment service providers to offer these methods to meet that growing demand. So we will cover all of that a bit later in the show. But as always, to get us started is our news and numbers segment. So this is where our guest has gone out and found a new story featuring an interesting number to discuss and get us started. So Ben, what have you brought along for us today? Yeah, so this is a couple of news stories based on a report from UK Finance. And the BBC reported it as the UK is losing £2,300 per minute to fraud. And they've broken down basically a, a 1.2 billion figure that was lost in 2022 to fraud. And I think what's really interesting here is that this is both a continued threat. So like these numbers are big, they are meaningful. I think they're going to continue to get bigger. But also I, as a bit of a sort of payments nerd, find it interesting that there is a bunch of different things that we would need to do to try and solve this in lots of different areas. There's no one sort of magic solution to it. We just need to improve the way that, that we do things in, in a range of different platforms, in payments and outside of payments as well. Yeah, so this is a report from Bank Industry Group UK Finance. They mentioned that the total money lost in 2022 was actually 8% less than in 2021 and fraud cases were down by 4% as well. But there's still nearly 3 million cases across the UK in total, which is still a huge number. So this decline, I think you can argue that maybe that this is from COVID levels, right? So fraud levels during COVID would have spiked um, and we're starting to see a bit of a decline from that as well. But do you think, I mean, this is still a very high level of fraud, right? So do you think more needs to be done now from banks and fintechs to really kind of inform customers about some of these scams that are out there? And what more can, can they be doing, I guess, to try and really bring this number down? Because, I mean, as you mentioned there, you think this is only going to rise, right, with forces upping their game as well. So what can we do, I guess, to, to try and really tackle this? Yeah, so I think you're right. Definitely, we are seeing a little bit of reduction this year, but that's just the fallout from COVID where people had a lot of time on their hands and they had maybe a little bit more money available and particularly things like investment fraud where people claim they've got this great investment opportunity for you those kind of things were 
very big during COVID and, and, and those things have dropped off, but plenty of other types of fraud are continuing to grow and are continuing to be a problem. So as we look at what to do about it, I think the first thing is to kind of break down the different categories of this fraud. The biggest split is authorized fraud versus unauthorized fraud. So authorized fraud being where the payer is saying, yeah, I want to make this payment, but maybe the person they're making it to isn't who they say they are or isn't going to do with that money what they say they will. And then there is unauthorized fraud where just the money is being taken completely unnoticed to them. And the majority of this fraud is unauthorized fraud. And actually within that, cards account for the biggest fraud loss. So almost five times more money was lost to unauthorized payment card fraud than to the next payment method during that time. So the first thing I think is we need to continue this shift from unauthorized methods through to authorized payment methods. So if we look at something like open banking, I know we'll be talking, I'm sure, about open banking a bit more later on, but it has authorization just built in. By default, it has bank level security. So you have to verify with your bank in the same way you would if you were logging into your online banking or logging into your banking app. And that massively reduces the occurrence of that kind of unauthorized fraud that makes up the majority. So I think that is really key. Yeah. And there's been a lot of talk as well around what banks in particular could be doing if to help people get refunds from scams and stuff that they've fallen foul of. So, I mean, what's your take on that? What could banks or, or other kind of like financial institutions or even the government be doing more to help kind of protect customers from this? So I think there's a lot of different threads here, right? There are lots of pieces around education. There is a, a large discussion going on around what, for example, social media platforms should be doing here. So the majority of fraud cases, particularly on the authorized fraud, originated from social media where people put up adverts for dodgy services that aren't actually what they purport to be. But then if we look at banks themselves, they're in a really difficult spot, I think, where obviously they are the ones who are holding the money and actually moving the money. But the last line in this series of things that's happened by the time the fraud gets to the bank. And for them, it's quite difficult. They're actually looking at very little information. All they see is this is where the money's going from. This is where it's going to. And this is the amount. And on that limited number of data points, they've got to make a decision within a fraction of a second as to whether I let this payment through or whether I don't. Obviously, people don't want their payments being delayed. That's just not viable. So they have to make decisions very quickly with very little information. And one of the really interesting solutions that as a bit of a tech nerd, I'm really interested in is adding more metadata to payments. So rather than just those three data points, you get more information about the context of the payment. For example, what the payment is for or the place that it's being made or maybe some sort of additional identity information about the person making the payments. Open banking, for example, is looking at adding this and hopefully making it mandatory with something called transaction risk indicators where the merchant or the PSP who's initiating the payment can pass some extra information to the bank so that they can go, yeah, this looks secure, or actually, no, this looks a bit dodgy. We should block it. I think we'll get a lot of success. that kind of leads us on quite nicely into the main topic of conversation today, which will be around payments and bank payments in particular. To set the scene there, I mean, what are some of the key trends that you're noticing in payments at the moment? Yeah, so I think, first of all, I have to obviously draw attention to the current economic conditions. And we're seeing a lot of tightening budgets. And that is coming through to the way that merchants are thinking about payments. So they want payment methods that are 
cheaper, they convert better for sort of bottom line. We know that from some of our own research that 90% of decision makers agree that the cost of running their business now is higher than a year ago, which is probably, we don't need a stat like that to, to tell us that things are tougher, but it certainly does bear out in the numbers. And a lot of the merchants we've spoken to, feels like they've reached the point where they don't want to keep passing those costs on to customers. In the same bit of research, 76% of decision makers said they didn't feel comfortable passing on the rising costs onto the customers anymore. So they're looking at other ways they can make those savings. So in the payment space, they're looking at ways they can, for example, reduce fraud, they can improve conversion, maybe they can shrink the number of contracts so they can use fewer suppliers for those payments so they can get a better deal. And they're also looking at whether they can include other elements around payments as well from the same supplier. The other thing we're seeing is payer preferences changing, and we pay a lot of attention to this. We do quite a lot of research into the way that payers look at payments, the way they think about payments, the payment methods they want to use. And we're now at the point where 89% of payers worldwide say that they trust bank payments more than any other payment type, which is a really exciting stat and shows that we're getting to the point now where bank payments are really becoming a really important method and we need to be paying a lot more attention to them and they're really starting to counter cards. Excellent. So you've been looking to tap into this go cardless then. This as maybe an alternative to more classic methods of, of payments so like cards and stuff like that, obviously. What are some of the benefits of using bank payments and as opposed to other methods? Yeah, absolutely. So let me, I'll first clarify what bank payments are because I'm aware a lot of people may hear the term and not really be able to put a pin on exactly what it is. We think of them as three different types. So there's, there's a push bank, bank payment. So that's maybe logging onto online banking and doing a bank transfer to somebody else. There's a pull-based. So think about pulling that money using a direct debit mechanism, for example. And then sort of an in-between that we would call an initiated push. So this is where open banking fits in. So maybe you're in a checkout flow and you need to pay £100 to complete that checkout. The merchant would initiate a payment and you get redirected to your banking app, for example, where you're saying, yeah, I want to send that payment and you authorize it. So you're actually, as the payer, pushing the payment, but it's initiated by the merchant. So that really encompasses the different types of bank payments we're talking about. And there's a range of benefits, really. The first one I have to call out is cost, which obviously in light of the things mentioned previously around merchants looking to reduce their costs is a real key one. Bank payments are just inherently cheaper than other payment methods. If you look at something like cards, there are a lot more intermediaries. So, you know, a lot more people want their slice of that transaction fee. We also find that the total cost of ownership of bank payments tends to be lower, so reduced processes, reduce number of staff, those kind of things needed to process them. So overall, we find that somebody moving to using bank payment methods with GoCardless, for example, reduces their total cost of payments by 56%, which is great. It's a great number. We love it. So other than cost, bank payments are great for increasing payment success and reducing churn. Again, if you look at something like credit cards, the failure rate on average is 8%. And it's much lower for bank payments. It's 1% or 2%. And then when you've taken that payment and you want to continue taking recurring payments from that payer, the churn on bank payments is much lower. So if you get issued a new credit card, you have to go and update that in all the places that use it, but your bank account doesn't expire. And if you move to a new bank account, you use in the UK, certainly something like the current account switching service, which would pull all of your bank account payments over to your new bank account. So overall, we find a sort of 10 to 15% of car payments turning into churn or bad debt, which you don't get with bank payments. And then finally, speed, particularly if we look at open banking. Instant bank payments are open banking product, moves funds into your account seven times faster than with credit cards. And where merchants are looking for certainty over their cash flow, this is really important. They know they've got the money very quickly. So those are a few of the key things that we get really excited about around bank payments. 
So how can businesses then looking to utilize bank payments really integrate and make the most of this? And what are some of the key use cases for them? We see certainly plenty of traditional pull-based payments, first of all. So think about using direct debit to pay for your utilities. There's still quite a lot of volume there. We also see a lot of payments moving between different types of bank payments. So for example, if you're paying for invoicing, if you're an agency wanting to invoice a client on a regular basis, maybe previously that would have been a bank transfer, but you could use a pull-based bank payment to pull it automatically, which just reduces the admin and stress around having to trace payments and those kind of things. So certainly there's a lot of bank payments in those use cases. We're interestingly also seeing a rise in bank payments for maybe some use cases that traditionally would have been stronger with cards. So a great example is SaaS subscriptions. So where you're taking a one-off payment from a customer and then you use maybe card on file to take their recurring payments. Instead, you can do something like a combination of open banking and direct debit. So you take that first payment using open banking. So you know that it's, you've definitely got the money. It moves really quickly. As I mentioned before, it's very secure. It comes straight to you. And then you take the subsequent payments using something like direct debit, which is pull based. So you just pull them on the day they're due. So we're seeing definitely some growth in that kind of use case. Excellent. And I mean, looking on the customer side with cards being so ingrained for many people now as a payment method, do you think there might be some reluctance to change there or are you noticing a shift away from card payments now? So firstly, obviously everything in payments is very slow. Everything moves at glacial pace and both on the payer and merchant side, preferences change slowly. But we are, I think, seeing some pretty good signs. As I mentioned before, we do a lot of research with payers and we pay attention to their preferences very closely. And when payers are looking at a payment method, interestingly, the three top factors, the three top things they look at are security, ease of payment, and the fact that the money leaves their account right away. So on security, we know that 36% of payers would try a new payment method if it offers more security. And if you look at something like open banking, it has authentication built in. It's not bolted on top like it is, say, with cards. It's just automatically secure and that's sort of bank level security. So they win out there. The ease of payment, some of the open banking flows are now going to be slick. You're just redirected straight to your banking app and you approve the payments, then you come back. And with the money leaving your account right away, you know that that's going to happen. It's not like with a credit card where it sort of sits as a pending payment at the top. and You're not quite sure whether that money's come out of your account yet or, or not. So there are a bunch of reasons that we're seeing payers slightly, slowly open up to the benefits of bank payments and they are growing. We also know it's a generational thing. So 38% of 25 to 34 year olds are ready and willing to start using something called variable recurring payments, which is like a recurring version of open banking, which we're very excited about. And that's great. A lot of people haven't even heard of them, but in that kind of younger demographic, 38% are ready to go, ready to start using them tomorrow. The other thing to mention is this is obviously very use case specific and depending on the use case, cards often don't make sense. So in invoicing, for example, bank payments are already the preferred method. So there's some areas where we've already won. I guess the overall thing though is, is to highlight the way we think about this, which is about conversion. 67% of payers will stop an online purchase if their preferred method isn't available. And so if you're a merchant thinking about this, our advice is really to expand the range of methods you take because ultimately that leads to higher conversion and more more revenue especially if you're looking at expanding abroad where cards certainly aren't as popular as they are in the uk and in the us we know that businesses offering five or more payment methods grow revenue an average of 21 percent faster than those offering three or less so it really is about offering a whole range of methods and catering to what the payers may want to use 
Excellent, excellent. I mean, you've touched on it there, but from that merchant's perspective as well, how have their expectations evolved when it comes to the suppliers that they're working with as well in terms of their payment offerings? Yeah, so maybe touched on it slightly at the beginning around the payment trends. The biggest thing I think we're seeing is that people want convenience and things in one place. Generally, it feels like in tech, we talk about the sort of ongoing bundling and unbundling. People want things together under one supplier and then they want to break them out. At the moment, with people thinking more about spending and how much they're spending on suppliers, people, merchants generally are looking at pulling things into one place, having things from one supplier. So that could be things like their fraud or their reconciliation tools or their payment success tools or their accounting tools all in one place. But it's also true of payment methods. So we're seeing more and more merchants who want to get all of these different payment methods. They want all those benefits of the conversion from having lots of payment methods. But they just want it through one PSP. They don't have to deal with lots of them. And this is actually where the success strategy comes from. Right? This is the thinking behind it. We want to allow merchants to get all the benefits of bank payments and from a specialist like GoCardless. You can get that through another PSP. You don't have to come to us directly. And for the PSPs, they can make use of all the benefits of bank payments without having to go ahead and build the whole thing themselves. And they can just get it from us. You mentioned obviously open banking playing quite a key role in what you're doing as well. We've seen, obviously, popularity of open banking payments on the rise recently. It's, it wasn't too long ago that JROC released their report as well and, and the guidelines for the future of open banking. So, I mean, how have you looked to, to tap into that technology then, touching on the VRPC you mentioned there as well? And where do you see open banking as a whole, I guess, going in the future? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, open banking obviously feels like a very new trend. It's actually one of the first things I worked on at GoCardless. Back in 2017, I think, I was getting us into the first test environment. Uh, it feels like it's been a long journey, but it's come a, a long way. It's mad to think that we've now got, I think, over six and a half million active open banking users. It's growing 10% month on month. So it's it's really booming. And we've got some great examples like HMRC have taken more than 12 billion in tax payments using open banking. We estimate that saved them around half a million quid in transaction fees. So it's certainly really growing and really starting to pick up. We're doing a few things around it and we continue to be really heavily focused on, on open banking. So first of all, we're a payments company. Obviously, we're offering open banking payments through our product called Instant Bank Payments. And one of the interesting examples here is using this in combination with direct debit. I think I mentioned a bit earlier. So we've got a customer, for example, called Gravity, who run a range of trampoline parks. And they've had great success with doing in-person payments using open banking. So you come along and you're signing up for a subscription for the trampoline park on an iPad. There's a QR code comes up, you scan it with your phone, you get directed to your open banking app. You hit, yeah, I want to send that first payment. And then we automatically also set up a recurring direct debit in the background. And we've got a bunch of great success stories like that. So our payments have been doing really well. That's very exciting. And then we've also launched a feature called Verified Mandates, which uses the AIS, so the information part of open banking. And this is where we use the very secure nature of open banking to verify that the person setting up a direct debit mandate is in fact the owner of that bank account that the mandate is being set up on. And again, we've got some great successes there where there are certain use cases where that's, that sort of level of security is very important. And we also actually acquired an open banking provider last year that we're integrating into our own products. And so there's a bunch of great data enrichment products that we offer on top of AIS that company developed now through the GoCardless brand. And we're continuing to put a lot of focus here, as I, as I said, and, and, and look at launching new open banking features, one of which, as you mentioned, is VRP, so variable recurring payments. 
we have partnered with NetWest, one of the first PSPs to do so, to make variable recurring payments live. And you can go and have a go and use them right now. And NatWest are kind of leading the way on this, on expanding the use cases for variable recurring payments beyond the initial sweeping use case. I won't go into the details, but open banking nerds will, will know what I mean. But plenty of other banks are, are soon following suit. And we're really excited that this is going to become a really big and dominant payment method. And I have to point out, obviously, that all of the above exciting open banking features are available through Embed. So if you're a PSP, a payment provider, you want to make use of them. They're all part of our product offering and available in that single API. All sounds good. So to finish off then, I guess, what do you think the near-term future thing looks like for the payment space and what's next for GoCardless as well in particular? We haven't really talked that much about embedded payments here, but I think that we're going to continue seeing a strong rise in embedded payments. Those themes I mentioned above about people wanting things in a single place, obviously embedded payments plays into that very well. People getting payments through the other bits of software they're already using. So we're going to continue seeing that grow. And certainly in GoCardless, we want to ride that wave as well. We've also talked about open banking a couple of times, and that's one of the obviously really exciting things that's going to continue to grow and get better. I really think we'll see open banking reach its potential. The new roadmap that you mentioned a bit earlier that's been released around the things that are going to be added to the open banking spec in the coming couple of years is very exciting. And some of those things will make it a really amazing payment method. And obviously we want to continue also making best use of that trend. Maybe a bit closer to home, if we think about the GoCarless products, we've got a couple of add-on products called Success Plus and Protect Plus that are all about making payments more successful and more secure. And we'll continue uh, evolving those products. And that's all about making bank payments even better than they are by themselves, by adding on extra layers around them. And if we're talking about what's next for GoCarless, I should definitely try and shoehorn the fact that we will be at Money 2020. I will be there and a bunch of other people from the team and our CEO, Hiroki, will be speaking on the Encore stage. So do come and drop by and you can hear anything more about all of this or any of the things that I'm not allowed to say on the podcast, but that I can tell you face to face. So to close out the podcast, we have our now infamous FinTech Jail as well. So this is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword or trend that you've seen or heard enough of. Which buzzword do you want to hand a sentence to this week? So I would love to handle the buzzword alternative payment methods. So this actually is a term that I think you put into your jail about a year ago, but it must have been let out on good behavior because I've heard it come up a lot. Is that okay? Can I do that? You can, yeah. So as you mentioned, this was added to the jail last season. It was argued at the time that alternative methods have now become more popular and more widely used than what they've been considered an alternative to, essentially. Is that something that you'd agree with? So right now, as I'm working on Embed, I'm speaking to a lot of other PSPs, a lot of other payment companies. And quite often, I get put in touch with the alternative payment methods team, which is a single team that's scoped with just looking at all of these kind of other non-card-based payment methods. It's a bit like we've just taken all the payment methods that aren't cards and put them into a jumbled box and gone, yeah, they're all about the same. And uh, let's just think about those over there. And actually, there's a huge diversity in these payments and some of them offer lots of benefits over cards. And particularly if we look geographically, some of them are actually the, the preferred methods. There are obvious examples like the huge popularity of e-wallets in Asia. You look at things like Ideal in the Netherlands, in Europe, UPI in India, obviously been really successful. 
picks in Brazil. All of these methods around the world are much more popular and much better than cards in those individual markets. I completely agree. I think, like you say, lumping all of these payment methods under the alternative umbrella isn't always helpful, especially as you've mentioned there, given the popularity that a lot of these payment methods are seeing now globally. I mean, if we choose to increase the term time here, what I usually ask is if we're going to throw the word into the jail, or in this case, extend its time in there, would there be something you'd like to replace it with? I guess in this case, it's more just getting rid of the term. But do you think everything that falls under the umbrella of this term has enough consumer recognition to survive in the wild on its own? Yeah, I think I'm probably going to take the easy way out of that one and say, as long as bank payments are allowed out, anything else can stay on remand if that's needed. Excellent. All sounds good. Well, perfect. I think, yeah, I mean, like, as you mentioned, it's been in the jail. We do allow people to extend the sentences of terms that have been put in there. So quite happy to extend this one and uh, yeah, keep it in there. Hopefully, like you say, we'll see fewer instances of it it out in the wild as, as things kind of develop and evolve over time. Well, that's all we have time for this episode. Thanks, of course, to Ben for joining me. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com on Twitter at Fintech Futures and of course on LinkedIn. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud or your favourite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes. Thanks as well to Arama for editing this podcast. You can check them out at arama.tv. As always, thank you very much for your support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye.